have a friend um, who last year won a ticket to the Super Bowl. How many know today's Super Bowl Sunday? And uh, he went to the Super Bowl by himself. The ticket he got was kind of high. He was sitting way up there in the rafters. As he looked down, he saw an empty seat a little bit lower, and he thought to himself, you know, this is the only time I may ever get to this game, so I'm going to try to sneak down and get to that empty seat. So he got past an usher, and he got down, and he sat down in that empty seat, and he was sitting next to an older gentleman, and he looked over, and he says, I hope you don't mind that I'm sitting here. I just saw that the seat was empty. And he says, oh, don't, don't worry. It's okay. Uh, that, that seat belongs to my wife but she passed away and he goes oh my god I'm sorry to hear that he says yeah we've been coming to the Super Bowl together since 1975 and so as the man was sitting there in the chair enjoying the game he thought to himself he couldn't find anybody to sit here he looked over at the man he goes you don't have one family member that you could have invited to come to the Super Bowl with you he says oh yeah I have a lot of family members but they all decided to go to the funeral still don't get it you're like huh somebody say priorities and this morning if you have your bible i'm going to ask you to open it with me to the book of philippians chapter four what a great spirit there is in the house today beginning in verse 10 and let's all stand together as we read the word when you have it say i'm rich say it like you really believe it say i'm rich all right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It reads this way. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He said, Now that I, I speak, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned that in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to be, uh, be abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and also to suffer need. He says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. He says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Now, notice here in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus a thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Christ Jesus. Would you put your hand on your heart and say, I'm rich. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad you came today and you may be seated. I don't plan on speaking very long, so I'm going to ask everyone to make sure that you stay in your seat for the whole service today. But how many are feeling good right now? As we launch into the 90-day challenge, 
I can't help but to think how far we've come as a church. You know, this thing called generosity is something that I believe at one time in our life was seriously lacking. How many know that when you're not saved, it's kind of hard to be generous? But once Jesus gets a hold of your life, how many know all that changes? And when I think about our church, I really think that we've come a mighty long way. How many agree with me? We've come a mighty long way when it comes to generosity. See, it wasn't that we didn't have it before. But I believe it's that as a people, sometimes we don't understand that the principle of giving is important as it pertains to our relationship with God. A giving attitude is always linked to gratefulness and knowledge. That's what we find right here in the scripture is that this church that gave to Paul, they gave from a spirit of gratefulness. How many are grateful for what God has done in your life? You can give him praise if you feel to do it. Come on, let's give him a good praise. See, often that's where giving flows from. It flows from a spirit of gratefulness. It flows from a spirit of thanksgiving. And when we look at the New Testament church that Paul was addressing here in Scripture, we find that at one time they saw themselves as the need. When they, when they didn't have Christ, they were the need. But as they begin to grow, as we do in the things of God often, is they went from being the need to actually seeing the need. And then as they grew a little bit more, they went from being the need to seeing the need to actually being the very ones meeting the need. And that's why I believe many of you are blessed. I believe there's a group of people who are emerging at Victorite San Diego who know what it is at one time to have been the need. And then God got a hold of your life and then you went from being the need to seeing the need to now meeting the need. And the reason you're blessed is because you have allowed the Lord to emerge your mentality. To take your mentality when it comes to finances to a whole nother level. When we look at the New Testament church, we find that the Holy Spirit left a particular DNA in the churches that Paul established. What we find is that a Paul church was always a giving church. We see about it here when we talk about the Macedonian, the Macedonians, the, the, those that Paul used to spur the Corinthians, we know that the Macedonian churches were under a great trial of affliction. They were going through a lot of struggle. But even in the midst of their struggle, they were still willing to be generous financially. And what Paul does is he, he talks to, to the Corinthian churches who, watch this, who were rich in resources, but they were weak in generosity. They had a lot of finances. They had the resources that they need, but they lacked the generous spirit. And what Paul says to the Corinthian churches, he says, look at those Macedonian churches that even though they're going through a lot of struggle, they're still willing to give. See, the Macedonian churches had a reputa reputation of giving. You know, as your pastor and, and as, I, as I, I speak to you every week, I look out and, and I often think to myself, what do people think of Victory Outreach San Diego when they look at us? I know they look at us as a young and good-looking church. Come on, somebody. That's cool. I'll take that. 
I know they look at us as a technological church as we have a lot of cutting edge technology and they can watch us on the internet. I know they look at us as an evangelism church, a soul winning church, right? I know they look at us as, as, as a growing church, but do they look at us as a giving church? See, I'm concerned about our reputation. And I really want people to look at our church as a church that's willing to be generous. See, the, the, the churches that Paul started were generous churches. The Philippians in particular, we read about their beginning in Acts chapter 16, where they started at the house of Lydia. And then we also find later that Paul and Silas were taken into prison. You know the story that as they were in that prison cell, they, it was the midnight hour and they began to sing songs to the Lord. And it looked pretty dark for them. But as they begin to worship the Lord in their tough time and they begin to sing songs to the Lord, the Bible says miraculously those jail cells were open and they came out with their shackles off of them. How many can say amen? And, and they ran into a Philippian jailer who was afraid for his life because he knew the sentence was death, that they came out of prison. But it was right there that Paul said to him that if you give your life to the Lord, you and your whole household, sh household shall be saved. And it was right there that the Philippian church began in, in, in the climate of miracles. How many know what it is to experience a miracle in your life? It was right there in the climate of miracles that the Philippian church was birthed and the Macedonian churches were birthed. And, and, and as those miracles were flowing, there was a sense of gratefulness in the people mixed with the spirit of faith and also mixed with a spirit of generosity. Now, you may ask this morning, why were these churches generous? Well, I believe the reason that these churches were generous is because Paul taught these churches that they were rich. They taught these churches that they were rich. Would you take your hand, put it on your heart and say, I'm rich. Now, notice I told you when, to take your hand and put it on your heart, not put it on your pocket. Come on, somebody. Notice I said, put it on your heart. Say, I'm rich. Come on, do it again. Put it on your heart. Say, I'm rich. See, the reason I didn't tell you to put it on your pocket, because I know there's a lot of you this morning, you might put your hand on your pocket and say, well, my, my pocket is far from rich. Come on, somebody. But what we find about Paul is that Paul taught his churches that they were rich. What does it mean to be rich? The first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. The R stands for redeemed. Is there anyone here that has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? I'll wait on you this morning. Anyone been cleansed by the blood of Jesus this morning? Is there anyone here this morning that because of the blood of Jesus, you've been given a second chance and a third chance and a fourth? Come on, somebody. Say, I'm redeemed. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. It is, it is that I no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He goes on to say, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So what does that say? It says that we've been saved. That, if you say you're saved, you're saying something. Can I hear an amen? We've been transferred. Somebody say transferred. See, we need to understand that being redeemed means that we have been transferred from one kingdom into another. We've been transferred from darkness into light. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says that he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Let, let me say this to you. Darkness is a domain. Darkness is a territory. 
Darkness is a way of living. Darkness is a way of thinking. Many of you who are here this morning, you know what it is to dwell in the domain of darkness. You know what it is to have nothing but darkness around you, darkness in your relationships, darkness in your thinking, darkness in your lifestyle. But what the Bible teaches us is that when Jesus redeemed us with his blood, he pulled us out of the domain of darkness. And the scripture says that he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we now have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What is that saying? That's simply saying that we lived in the world of darkness. We lived in a dark territory. Territory. We lived in the realm of darkness, but through the blood of Jesus, he changed our spiritual area code. He pulled us out of darkness. Come on, somebody. And he brought us into his marvelous light. You ought to give him some praise if you're grateful that he transferred you. Let me put it this way. At one time, you were sentenced to death. Oh, my God. But now you are sentenced to life. Is that good news to yours this morning? What am I saying to you this morning? Friends, we live in a new kingdom. We are residents of a new kingdom. We live in a new space and time. We live with a new mentality. We are no longer limited by our past. When, when Jesus pulled you out of that realm of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light, you need to understand that you are no longer limited by your past. You are no longer judged by your past behaviors. You are no longer judged by your past thinking. You are no longer judged by your past speech. You are no longer judged by your past relationships. You are no longer judged by your past circumstances. What Jesus did at Calvary is he destroyed your past. You've been cleansed by the blood. My friend, I've got good news for you this morning. You have been pardoned by the blood of the Lamb. You have been pardoned. What does it mean to be pardoned? How many know that a pardon is a legal term? And what it means to be pardoned, watch this, is that now that I'm pardoned by the blood of Jesus, my past has no legal right over my future oh my god i don't know if there's anyone here that has ever been forgiven of anything is there anyone here that's ever been forgiven of anything well i came to let you know no matter what you've done in your past cannot dominate your future cannot dictate your future come on somebody the devil can't hold anything against you old relationships can't hold anything against you old failures can't hold anything that's good news this morning old failures can't hold anything against you old mistakes that hold can't hold anything against you you have been made brand new you have been pardoned you have a second chance you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, all things have passed away. Oh. Come on and shout to the Lord if you've been pardoned by the blood. Woo! What does that mean? Now you can walk as a free man, a free woman. You're no longer bound by chains. You're no longer bound by the lies of the enemy. You don't have to listen to the lies in your mind anymore. You are a free man. You are a free woman in Christ Jesus. And you are free to behave according to his word. Come on. You are free. Ooh, man, that's good. You're free to live for God. You're free to live like Jesus. You're free. You're a new man, a new woman. So Paul teaches these churches that they are rich. And the first part of being rich is they are to be redeemed. The second thing he teaches them is the I. 
that these people are rich because they have something called instruction. Not only have they been redeemed, but they have instruction within their life. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, all scripture is God breathed and profitable. Watch this profitable. Say that with me. Say profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Watch this. And for training in righteousness. So that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How many know that's good news? That, that, that's good news. You say, so you say, wait a minute, hold on. Why am I rich, pastor? I've been redeemed. But you're also rich because you have instruction in your life. Because you have the living word of God in your life. Watch how important this is. You see, we not only have the living word of God in our life, but I want to share this with you this morning. We also have instructors. We also have pastors. We also have spiritual leaders. We also have models that we can follow. You see, we have those in our life, watch this, that are taking the time to train us in the things of God. Is that valuable to you? I'll tell you that, don't miss this point. Paul says you're rich because there are people willing to invest in you. Understand me when I tell you that there might have been a time in our life where nobody wanted anything to do with us. We had parents that didn't want anything to do with us. We had friends that didn't want anything to do with us. We had instructors in school that sent us to failure. Didn't believe in us. But why are we rich now? Not only because we've been redeemed, but we are rich because we sit in a church where there are people that are willing to teach us the world. Oh, come on, somebody. We're amongst people that say, I believe in you. That every time you come into this church on a Wednesday night, or you come into this church on a Sunday morning, or you come into this church on a Sunday night, or you go to your Bible study, you can be sure that there's going to be a word that's spoken over your life. There's going to be an investment that's placed into your life. We are rich because we have instructors. I remember before I got saved, how hungry for God I was. I mean, really, if you look at it, that's what, that's what was going on in my life. I was hungry. I was hungry spiritually. I was lacking. I was, I was malnourished spiritually. Any, anybody testify? I was malnourished. And I would go out and look for knowledge. I always had a searching mind. Some, just like some of you, you know, you, you look at the Internet and you, and you talk to people and you have a searching mind. And in those days, we didn't have the Internet, so we just had, you know, people. And I was always trying to maybe go to school and maybe get into college or try to gain some type of knowledge that way. And then sometimes I used to get around the, my friends who used to smoke a lot of weed. And you know how people who smoke weed is, are they think they're real smart? Come on, somebody. And how many know people that smoke weed aren't smart? They're just high? Come on, somebody. And they would try to kick off some deep knowledge. Come on, somebody. Talk to me now. Religion, they want to talk about religion and all kinds of stuff. And I would look at their life and say, why is it that none of what you're saying is working for you? Come on. See, I was searching. I was looking for truth. I was looking for understanding. 
But I wasn't finding it out there. It wasn't until I walked into the house of God. And when I walked into the house of God, they were preaching the word of God. And I would listen to my pastor every single week. And I want to tell you, I was hungry. I didn't miss a service. I was not only here on Sunday. I was here on Monday. I was here on Tuesday. I was here on Wednesday. I was here on Thursday. I, was here. I couldn't get enough of what God was saying from the platform. I couldn't get enough because it was food to my soul. It was instruction that I needed. My father couldn't give me instruction. My friends couldn't give me instruction. None of it was working. But when I came into the house of God, not only was it being preached, but I saw that it was working. It was working. Somebody say the word works. I begin to examine my pastor. And I want to tell you about my pastor. He's my pastor. He's the greatest pastor in this world. Pastor Sonny Argonzoni. I love him. I love him, man. And he would preach with power and authority. And he would teach us to go into the word. But not only did he teach the word. Watch. I saw the word as evidence in his life. Ooh, I saw the word as evidence in his marriage. I, I, I saw the word as an evidence in his personal calling, in his personal life. I saw the word as evidence in his relationship. I saw the word as evidence in his ministry. I began to look at his finances. I saw his finances were prospering. I saw that his body was getting better. He was being healed. Come on, somebody. I began to see how the word worked within his life. Why am I rich? Because I not only have the word, but I sit under leadership where the word is working. Can I hear an amen? See, today, the word works in my life. Today, you are rich. Because not only is the word working in my life, let me say this to you. The word is working in your life as well. Come on and give him praise if you caught that. Paul taught his churches that they were rich, that they were not only redeemed, that they were not only instructed. But thirdly, he taught them what it meant to be content. Say, I'm rich because I'm content. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Catch this. Some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. Because you have learned a long time ago. That money is not the answer to all your problems. Money is not the answer. How many know godliness with contentment is great gain? I'm going to tell you, you'll get to a place where, where you'll find out, and the Beatles already taught us, that money can't buy you love. Come on, clap, clap, clap with me. Money can't buy you love. Mm -mm, no way. No. Mick Jagger said... I can't get no. Come on, somebody, help me. I can't get no. But I've got satisfaction in my life. Money can't buy you love. Money can't even buy you health. It can buy you health care, but can't buy you health. The Bible tells us we are rich because we are content. And understand me when I tell you, brothers and sisters, that there's a lot of people in this world who are very, very uncontent and discontented with their life. They're searching all over for peace. They're searching all over for security. They're trying to find security in their job until they lose their job. They're trying to find security in relationships until something goes bad in the relationship. 
They're trying to find peace by gaining all kinds of money until that money's not there any longer. And I came to tell you, there's a whole world out there of people, some of them might even be your friends, some of them might even be your family members that are searching and looking for something that they will never find out there. But I, I came to tell you, you've got what they need. Come on, somebody. You've got what they need. You've got peace. You've got security. You've got contentment in your life. See, we don't walk in a spirit of discontent. We walk in contentment because we know that our heavenly father is able to take care of all of our needs. Matthew 6, says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? Some things. What does it say? All things will be added unto you. Psalms 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul. I want to tell you that Jesus is satisfactory for me. He's all I need. See, we're, we're also content because we're no longer slaves. You're not a slave. Under the law, it says it was I do and God works. Under the law... It was, I work for God, and then God rests. But under Christ and under grace and through Calvary, it's God works, and I rest on his power to work. Come on, somebody. It's God works. My God never sleeps, and my God never slumbers, so there's no reason for me to be stressed out. Come on, somebody. There's no reason for me to stay up all night worrying because while I'm sleeping, God doesn't sleep. God is working. God is taking care of me. God is watching my back. God is taking care of my family. God is taking care of my kids. God is taking care of my health. I can rest in his power and I can rest in his ability. Why? Because on Calvary, Christ already handled my business. He already handled my healing. He already handled my provision. He already took care of my favor. He pulled me out of darkness and brought me into his light. If you're glad about it, give him a big, big praise. That's why I can walk in perfect peace today, Victory Outreach San Diego. And that's why you can walk in perfect peace today, Victory Outreach San Diego. And that's why you don't have to cause your hair to get gray. And you can keep all the hair you got today. Come on, somebody. Because God is working on your behalf. He has favored you. You are a child of the living God. No matter your circumstances today, you might be in a good season or a bad season. You can still have peace. Paul said, I have learned to be abased. I've learned to be at peace when I don't have it. But I've also learned how to walk when things are abounding. That even when everything's going right in my life, I'm still walking in that perfect peace. Come on, if you're grateful for it, give God one more praise. I'm almost done. Put your hand in your heart. Say, I'm rich. Oh, man, are you seeing it? You've been redeemed. You have instruction. You are content, but finally, you're an heir. You're an heir. I came to tell you on a Sunday morning, you're a king's kid. I came to tell you on a Sunday morning, you've got royal blood flowing through your veins.
You don't have your mama's DNA or your daddy's DNA. You got the DNA of Jesus flowing through your... Put your hand in your heart and say, I'm rich. You're an heir. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, if you could just turn there very quickly. It tells us what it means to be an heir. Verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Watch this. That we might receive the adoption as sons. And let me also say daughters. Are there any daughters of the king in the house today? Right? Verse 6 says, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Crying out, Abba, Father. Let me, let me put it this way. You don't even have to call him God. Call him Daddy. <laughs> Come on, somebody. That just changes the game, doesn't it? He says, therefore, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be an heir? The definition of heir is a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. Legally entitled. Say, I am legally entitled to everything Jesus left me. Everything Jesus left you. When he died upon the cross on Calvary, guess what? It doesn't float around in the air. It goes directly to your life. What did he leave you on Calvary? He left you many promises. I, I want to tell you something today. Understand that you are rich because you've got some promises coming. You've got some words that have been spoken over your life coming. You have some things that God has spoken to you about, some things that God has shown you. You have some promises found in his word, and you are an inheritor of his kingdom. You have been promised victory. You have been promised love. You have been promised provision. You have been promised health. You have been promised strength when you feel weak. You have been promised goodness in the land. You have been promised favor. And on top of all those things, my friend, you have been promised heaven. You ought to shout, and you ought to praise him, and you ought to thank the Lord, that you've got some good stuff coming to your life. You've got promises coming. You're an heir to the things of God. What's the key? What do you have to do? Let me tell you. All you have to do now is receive it by faith. It's all there. It's all sitting in front of you right now. You're, you're here in church and everything I've presented to you, it's all there. But now all you have to do is receive it by faith. You got to start pulling in those promises. You got to start pulling in that favor. You got to start pulling in that mercy. You got to start pulling in that goodness. Come on, somebody. You, you just got to receive it by faith. Somebody say, it's mine. Woo. And let me tell you, if you don't grab it, I'm going to grab it for you. 